a bloke came into view. Rob glanced at him, then turned back to Lou. He wanted to tell her that these friendships, these funny relationships you form at work were as real as the ones you made in your life outside. He even opened his mouth to speak when, Christ, it was him. Hi, and welcome to season three of Ear Movies, Murder Ballads. All the episodes are named for songs, and one is a bad pun on murder. That's the only real reason I can give you for the rationale for the creation of this entire season. Uh, That said, I think the stories are strong. A few have magical realist elements, all of them have mysteries, and great readers. Like Brian Dore, who was the longtime creative partner of John Clark, although Brian's a legend in his own right. I think he does a really great job as the seasoned cop on an extended stakeout with a young partner while they wait for the arrival of a killer. I hope you enjoy Just the Two of Us. Just the Two of Us. There were just the two of them in the car. Rob Slattery understood the ramifications of that very clearly. There'd be doubt if there were three people. When there were two, though, there could only ever be one culprit. Another guy like him, he couldn't care so much. Late 50s, overweight, not the best dresser. Bloke like that would understand, but he was with this, this girl. She was mid-twenties, he guessed. Straight looking, maybe Mediterranean. Gone through the academy, done the minimum in uniform, now already a detective. He'd been easily ten years older when he'd transferred. Oh, bugger it, there it went. Out in the world now. She glanced across at him. He tried to look innocent, although he knew, she knew, it had to be him. He kept munching his chips. She moved the key in the ignition, then wound down the window. He wondered if he should say sorry. Some people were fine with farts. Danny hadn't minded in the two decades they'd been partners. Some blokes would make jokes, of course. He and Danny had just stayed mute. He offered the girl a chip. He didn't think she'd take it, but she did. Thanks, she said. He looked across at the door and glanced up and down the street. She reached across and took another chip without him offering again. He didn't mind. Kind of liked it, actually. Took farts away as a topic of thought. And that's how it was with chips, wasn't it? Very hard to stop at one. He set the bag up in the centre console and they shared the rest until it was empty. How long you been in the force? he asked. Six years, she said. He wished the hell he could remember her first name. He didn't want to ask now, they'd already been in the car for an hour. Embarrassing. He was supposed to be the experienced detective. How would it look if he hadn't even retained that tiny bit of info? Hopefully he would get through the day without it coming up and he'd check the roster when they went back to the station. You? she said. (laughs) Decades, he answered laughing. I came in straight out of school. Dad was a copper. Basically ordered me to join the force. I didn't have a clue what I should do, so I did what he told me. She was watching him. I always wanted to be a cop, she said. Too many episodes of NCIS, I guess. And before you say anything, yes, I know real policing is nothing like on TV. I don't know why everyone I tell about NCIS feels like they have to point it out, but they do. And of course, that's what he'd been going to say. He glanced up and down the street again. 
Her phone buzzed. Zabatino, she said. Surname, damn. Yeah, we're over the road from 109. No, nothing going on. Too late, but thanks for the warning. She ended the call. Sarge says not to fart me out of the car. Rob looked across at her. Sorry, he said. She smiled. I'm better out than in, she said. He smiled back. Don't feel like this is permission to let them rip whenever you want, she said. I don't, I, I wouldn't, he said. She smiled again. She had a kind smile. Anyway, the Sarge can talk, Rob said. His are eye-watering. A young bloke on rollerblades came around the corner. Shorts, old jacket, dreadlocks. Skated confidently. They both watched him. He glided by the house, not even looking around. Not him. It was quiet again. Reckon they'll keep us out here all the time until the case comes up, she asked. Yep, he said, a real threat, they called it. Also because they've got nothing else to go on. Makes them look like they're doing something. The killer got the other witnesses pretty quickly, she said. They must be good. Well, we didn't know there was a risk then, he answered. The testimony against Donaldson hadn't come to light. We probably should have been more proactive and put officers on the first witness as soon as it did. Too late now. It doesn't mean the shooter's a pro, though. In my experience, some people have good luck and don't get caught. Others have bad luck and do. Mind you, most of them are just stupid. That's why they go down. Unless it's a heat of the moment thing and they leave a trail practically to their front door. She opened a bottle of water and took a sip. So far, whoever shot Williams has had good luck. She reached into a bag and pulled out a small notebook. The victim, Williams, was found upstairs. One shot to the forehead. No signs of a struggle. No signs of forced entry, she said. So, possibly someone she knew, he said. In regard to getting inside the house, yes, she said, but why didn't she make a fuss when the gun was pointed at her? You ever had a gun pointed at you, he asked. She shook her head. No way of telling how you'll react, he said. Have you, she asked. He remembered the day they'd been on an unspecific patrol and they'd gotten the call about the bank. He turned away to look out the window again. Once, he said softly. Scared the shit out of me, to be honest. Walked into a bank job. Armed hold-up. Classic 70s. Even had stockings on their heads. One had a sawn-off shotgun. The other had a 357 Magnum. A stolen police Smith & Wesson. Jesus, what did you do? Well, I dove for cover behind a column. The one with the shot he fired at me. Pellet sprayed everywhere. I looked out. The other one had the pistol. Aimed at Danny, my partner. Fired. But it didn't hit him. Then Danny shot both of them. Two shots. Bang, bang, like a bloody cowboy. Got a commendation for it. Danny, who'd retired from the force on TPD for stress ten years back. Rob knew he should have quit then as well, but the divorce had stuffed him up financially, and even with the benefit, he wouldn't have enough money. Bloody Danny was going on cruises twice a year these days. What did it feel like when the guns went off, she asked. Terrifying, he said. I truly wondered if I was a goner. 
still get flashbacks. Didn't do me any good for a while. Not when it happened though, 20 years after. PTSD. They got someone to talk to me though. Yeah, he thought, someone to talk to me. Like that's all it took. He thought about telling her what happened next. The guy Danny hadn't killed who'd raised his gun again. The bloke Rob had had to shoot as well. They saved each other's lives that day, but only Danny got the medal. Fair enough too, Rob thought. Danny had shot them in full view, completely ignored his training. Rob doubted the bloke aiming at Danny had even seen Rob still behind the pillar as he fired. He lived, despite being shot by both of them. Crippled though, died in Long Bay from AIDS 10 years later, Rob had heard, sharing needles. There was another thing that happened that day too. Robert kept a souvenir of it, like a talisman. He carried it everywhere. It was in his wallet now. Still freaked him out to think about it. He'd never told anyone what had happened, and he wouldn't be starting today. Unfair, he realised. Long internal monologues and a stakeout. Talking was better. Kept the boredom away. Kept you awake. Can you turn the key, he asked. She looked at him. Nah, I'm not going to fart again, just need some air. She smiled and nodded. He wound down his window. She was scrolling. Long silences were far more common these days as people commune with their frigging phones. He hated the bastards. Too distracting. He'd heard of cops, good cops, ending up in trouble when they'd been mesmerised by their screens. He wondered if he should say something to her. He wouldn't want to be in a situation when he was relying on her and she'd phased out on Facebook. Even as he thought it, though, she put it down. Sorry, I know I shouldn't, she said. I'm expecting a message. Yeah? She was quiet for a moment. I think my boyfriend and I are breaking up. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, he said. She spoke again. I had a text from one of his mates just to look out for this chick who's got the hots for him. I know her. She's the kind to go behind your back, that's for sure. What's your bloke's name? He asked. Mikey. We've been dating three years, living together the last six months. It's gone off the ball, though, if I'm being honest. An old woman came around the corner. They both turned to look at her, then turned away. Part of me wouldn't care if he got with Sylvia. I'd just prefer he did it in the right order. You know, we broke up first, he moved out, then he could get with who he liked. Yeah, I know what it's like, Rob said. She looked at him. Her eyes were wide, inviting him to speak. My first wife, Denise, ain't took up with one of my mates. Behind my back for six months. Sad thing is I knew about it. Knew about it maybe even before they did. They're always eyeing each other off. Thought I couldn't tell. I let them do it. I just wanted her gone. Thought it'd be easier that way. To be honest, I don't know what I was thinking. I hear what you're saying about things needing to be done in the right order, though. He went quiet again. It was often like this on stakeout. You sat with someone hour after hour, you spilled your guts. Sometimes you shared more with them than with anyone at home. Her hand explored inside the chip packet, but they were long gone. I don't know how anyone sticks at one relationship these days, she said. It's just too easy to hook up with someone new, have a backup ready if it doesn't work out. 
Do you have a backup? he asked. She surprised him by nodding. We haven't done anything, just talked and messaged. She smiled. You think I'm bad? He shook his head. Ah, different standards now, he said. Maybe I just haven't met the right guy, she said. Perhaps when I do, I won't feel the need to keep looking around. Her name was Lou. He checked the roster when they got back to the station. They spent a week in the car together, and then another two. Soon they were talking about anything that came into their heads. I thought Mum would fight her, but she went down like a ton of bricks, she said. It was the opposite with my dad, he told her. It was supposed to knock him out early on, but he fought it for three years. Even looked like he'd beaten it entirely at one point. I don't get how we spend all this money on useless shit like space travel and we still can't cure cancer. And sport, she said. Oh, hang on, he replied. Sport's different. That's something everyone loves. Now, the arts, though. Now it was her turn to be offended. Sport already gets money from sponsorship and advertising. The arts needs money from government. They kept talking like this. They weren't afraid to step on each other's toes now. Like they were old friends. He'd never have spoken to her outside work. Not a girl like this. Smart, pretty too, he thought. If he was 30 years younger, he'd definitely have a crack. More like a father now. Christ, grandfather even. What do you reckon about the DNA they got back? The case they were on. Ah, it's just a question of time now, isn't it, he said. Whoever left it at the crime scene will be ID'd as soon as they cross-check it with the database, then bang, they're gone. You're assuming they're on the database, though, she said. Well, they killed someone. I mean, unlikely murder is their first crime. They'll be on it, he said confidently. She opened some chips, automatically putting the bag between them. It was their thing now. They alternated days to bring them. Mikey's got his stuff out, he asked through a full mouth. A tiny piece of chip flew through the air towards the dashboard. He caught it before it landed. Jesus, nice catch, she said. He shrugged. Always had pretty good reflexes, he admitted. Sorry, though, I generally try and keep food in my mouth. She smiled. He liked it when she smiled. Despite her saying she wanted it, the breakup had been hard on her. There'd been tears in the car more than once. He hadn't minded. He liked offering words of comfort and experience. He told her about Damien in North Queensland. He always loved the water. Marine biology was his thing for a long time. Only naturally she'd move to Cairns so it could be closer to the reef. I didn't think he'd visit me so rarely once he'd gone, though. And of course, when he comes down here, he has to spend time with his mum as well, so I hardly see him. Do you go up there, she asked. He shook his head. Not often. He's busy. He always has things on. Well, you could still go, though, see him in between the times he's busy. Uh, he, he, He doesn't like Karen. Rob didn't admit this to many people. He says she's too bossy, and she kind of is, but she means it nicely. To tell you the truth, I think he'd resent anyone I'm with who isn't his mother. Oh, that's difficult, she said. I didn't know it would be like this, Rob said. I, I thought, you know, one big, extended, happy family, but we had a big argument before the wedding. He nearly didn't come. He made it very clear he wasn't interested in a relationship with Karen. Their heads turned in unison as someone came into view. The old lady they'd recently started to call Maria. She walked past them this time most days. 
How old was he when you married Karen? Lou asked. 22. Well, he probably doesn't think of her as a stepmother, she said. I know I wouldn't if you were my dad. He grunted agreement. Anyway, Kaz and I have our own life down here. You happy? Lou asked. He shrugged. It's predictable, but not unenjoyable. She's about ten years younger than me, though. I've always said it doesn't matter, but recently I think it's mattering more. I'm facing different things than she is. Like when to retire. I mean, it's not something she'll be thinking about for another decade. I never picture as a man who'd go for the younger type, she said. We all are, he laughed, and she joined in. Then she turned to him. I need to pee, she said. There was a park about 50 metres from the car on the other side of the oval, an amenities block. It's what they used. Too much coffee, he said, smiling. Go on, I'll keep an eye on things. She left the car and began walking. In the risk assessment, they'd identified this scenario as the most dangerous. If the murderer came, this would be when the target was at their most vulnerable, when there was only one person there to prevent them approaching the house. They'd been there all this time and no one had come near the house. Nevertheless, he became more vigilant. About five minutes later, he saw Lou walking back. She was cute, he thought. Nice bum, ponytail. He wished he didn't think like that about her. It wasn't right. The day before, he'd glimpsed her bra when a top button hadn't been done up. He hadn't meant to, but the red satin had caught his eye. She'd sprung him too. He turned away quickly, but she'd done up her shirt. He felt he'd let her down. Father wouldn't do that to a daughter, and a colleague shouldn't do that to a colleague. He smiled warmly as she returned to the car. She smiled back. Maybe it'd be okay. A couple of months went by, 12-hour shifts. They were rotating. This time they were on nights. How much longer do you reckon they'll keep us here, she asked. It had been his turn to buy the chips and the packet sat between them. As long as they reckon there's still a threat. What do you think about the intel? An anonymous letter warning that the killer still intended to strike. It was taken seriously because it partially matched the still unidentified DNA from the crime scene. The speculation was it had been written by a close relative. In my opinion, we'll be here right up until the court hearing in September, he said. She nodded, opening the chips. You going to Gordo's send-off, she asked. Yeah, he said. Oh, he's an asshole, but we haven't had a night at the pub for a while. Once we had them every week. She was crunching the chips loudly. You seem happy, he said. She smiled. You seeing someone, he asked. She nodded. Doesn't take you long, does it, he said. I told you I had someone lined up, she said. I've known Max since school. We've always been on each other's radar. Just he's been with someone, or I have. Just happened we were both single right now. I'm glad, he said. You deserve someone nice. She smiled again. If he's not nice, let me know, okay? He'd figured it was an innocuous comment, a statement of fatherly intent. To his surprise, she reached across and touched his arm. He looked at her. I really appreciate that, Rob. That was all she said. Her hand moved away. She took another chip. You and Karen, what happened after the argument? I'm not just trying to pry, she said. 
He didn't want to rain on a parade after just having fallen in love, but he couldn't deny things weren't rosy either. Ah, it is what it is, he said. I know that's not saying much, but, you know, we'll be okay. I mean, I guess it's our pattern. I have too much to drink one night, or she does, and then... And then what, he wondered. What should he say? They explode, one goes off, the magic's gone, the relationship has cooled, the annoyances are nearly constant. The more he thought about it, the less he wanted to say about it. Despair had knocked on the door and then kicked it in. You guys aren't talking, she asked. He smiled. Look, after a while, some of the passion fades. That's all I was going to say. No, it bloody wasn't, he thought. In the dinghy of his life, sometimes whole days were taken up with bailing out the regret. The faster he poured out the water, the more the bastard flowed in. You okay, Rob? she asked. It was her turn to be the parent. Ah, I thought Damien would be down for Easter and he texted last night he's not coming. She didn't say anything. I could go up there, but now Karen's booked a camper van for Tassie. Can't do both. Oh, that's tough, she said. He thought she'd asked if Karen could change the date, but she didn't say anything. Coming up with a potential solution was a bloke's response, he realised. Women were more likely to just listen. Anyway, he'd already asked Karen, but she was locked in with work. Damien was equally locked in at his end. It was all pretty stuffed up. He took a chip and then another. Anything ever happen in your life? You know, something you can't explain, he asked. He wondered if she'd be surprised at his question, but by then they could talk about anything together. Yeah, one thing, she said. The first night I met him, I was talking to Mikey at a party. I asked him what his name was. He said I had to guess. And in my mind, I saw a picture of this kid I knew from school, and his name was Mikey, so I said, Mikey. And we were both blown away that I was right. Weird, Rob said. You, she asked. Right there, in the moment, he nearly told her. But he stayed silent. He couldn't. Must be my turn for the coffee run, he said eventually. I'm going to die from coffee overdose, she laughed. Probably worse ways to go, he said. He didn't leave yet, though. What do you reckon about the DNA, she said after a minute. It's taken a while now. Well, millions of samples to work through, he said. It's a bloody long queue. I guess, she said. He laughed. Well, it's quicker than it used to be, he said. In my day, we'd be knocking on doors, talking to people, tracing phone calls, that kind of thing. Now they take one blob of spit and it's half solved. We'll find out who he is, no worries. I guess. He went to get out of the car, but she started talking again. Do we have a plan, she asked. I know we had one when we started, but that was months ago. If he walked around the corner now, what would we do? Well, call for backup first. Depends on him, then. If he tries to get in the house, we rush him. If he just stands there, we nab him and wait until uniform arrive. If he runs, we chase him. She looked concerned. He smiled. Don't worry about it, he said. I've done it a million times. Our main aim is to get him cuffed as quick as we can before he has a chance to think too much. That was the real secret, he thought. Surprise was their biggest advantage. Most of these blokes weren't too bright. If you were on them quick enough and got them down, you'd have them halfway to the paddy wagon before they'd figured out what they should have done. But then it'd be way too late, of course. 
He opened the door and stretched out one leg. See you in a sec, he said. Usual latte? Decaf, please, she said. For half a moment he wondered if she might be pregnant. But it was much too soon for that, even for someone her age. Two more months passed. The Sarge was for pulling them off the stakeout. He needed them elsewhere. But the court case was approaching. Also, the woman under threat knew the mayor. The mayor had talked to the local area commanders, so they kept the obo going. Some of the blokes had pushed for uniform to do it, but they wanted the element of surprise, so the same teams had stayed on it. Rob didn't mind. He and Lou got on well. It was pretty cushy too, actually. By now, there was little about each other's private lives they didn't know. She'd been genuinely happy when she'd heard Damien was going to come down and spend a few days. She actually picked up his mood was lighter and guessed he was coming. The same way his intuition had been confirmed when she told him she was pregnant, even if she hadn't been with the new bloke that long. He and Lou were like old friends, Rob thought. For a change, it was raining. Thick, heavy drops that slapped the juco. It was her turn for a coffee run, but there was no way he was suggesting it. The glass was getting really fogged up. He had to wind down his window a little way. It meant he got splashed, but there was no choice. The rain was the perfect cover for someone wanting to approach unseen. No one appeared, though. What would NCIS do in this situation? He asked after a while. Huh? She replied. Well, you said ages back that NCIS inspired you to join the force. What would they do now? She laughed. I haven't watched it for years. He hadn't either. I know it'll be solved in under an hour, though, she said. It's funny, he said. Used to be more detective movies, so sometimes it took longer. Then TV shows came along and shortened the time frame. I don't know if I've ever seen a detective movie, she said. Only TV shows. Ah, there's some classics, he said. Uh, Rare Window, uh, Big Sleep, Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes. Way before my time, she said. Chinatown, he added. Oh, Seven, she said. That was good. Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow. Did you see it? He shook his head. The rain, which had slowed, suddenly swept back harder than before. It blew in through the open window. Some of it even made it across to the driver's side. Sorry, he said. Doesn't matter, she said. I'm not getting wet as you. Quiet again, and then after a couple of minutes she spoke. I'm busting. He didn't reply. The wet and the cold and the baby, she said. He nodded. She was squirming in a seat. You'll get soaked, he said. I know, she answered. He thought about it. If the culprit was coming and he used the rain as cover and if he knew they were watching him, he'd see her leave the car and know this was his best chance. Rob had a bad feeling about it. She lasted another couple of minutes then managed to get a raincoat on inside the car, which was awkward. He passed his umbrella. You need this too. She thanked him and stepped outside. He kept his eyes peeled. His heart was racing. Actually took out his Glock had it in his hand ready. He really didn't like what he was feeling. 
The rain roared as it hit the car roof. A giant sky animal, he thought. And in the chaos it caused, the low visibility, the noise, the flooded gutters, channeling leaves and plastic flotsam at full speed. Was there another animal too? One who'd come to kill? He wound his window down further. He was getting saturated. It was chaos out there. Then around the corner, a bedraggled figure. No umbrella. Hugging the eaves, although he supposed that was natural in this weather. Hiding from the rain, but maybe also from those who might be watching for him. Rob felt the adrenaline kick in. His heart rate rose. The bloke crept along the fence line. He had a baseball cap pulled low. Rob couldn't make out his face. Checking the house numbers. Rob glanced the other way to see if he could spot Lou on her way back. There was too much water. He couldn't make out anything on that side of the street. The bloke was carrying something under his jacket. Rob had his fingers on the door handle. He was ready to pounce. The fear coursed through him. He hated this feeling. There'd only been a few times over the years like this. The bank job had been the first. A couple of others since, although nothing is bad. This was going to be different though. And the bloke turned towards a house. Not the one they were watching. Dropped something on the doorstep. A package. It was just a courier. He ran off, back the way he'd come, presumably returning to his van. Rob had stopped breathing. Started again slowly. Checked his safety. Put his gun back. Realised he was shaking. The rain slowed. He flipped on the ignition, hit the demister, wound the window nearly all the way up. Clarity slowly crept up the glass. Lou suddenly appeared out of the fog. She was smiling. A coffee in each hand, like she was magic. All right, she asked, getting in. She passed him his drink. He was cold and wet and took it gratefully. Yeah, fine, he said. He didn't tell her about the courier or his faulty intuition. I think you'd like seven, she said. Starts in the rain from memory, just like today. The fan poured cold air onto the glass and they sipped their coffees quietly. The rain slowed, everything returned to normal. Another month passed, more shifts together. Their talk had slowed like the rain on the day he'd seen the courier bloke. They'd nearly run out of things to say. Possibly they were just content with each other's company. Her phone rang. It was the Sarge. Rob wondered why the Sarge always rang her. Rob was the senior officer. Shouldn't he get the call? She listened, then hung up. Interesting, she said. What? he asked. They matched him. They have a name. Johnny Bones. Bonesy? You know him, she asked. Know of him, Rob said. Low life, street level. Won't be long until he's nabbed. He's cunning, though. And he fits the M.O. He'd take money to kill a witness, feed his habit. So you think he's still going to come? Lou asked. He's certainly dumb enough to try, Rob said.
On the next shift, she'd blue-tacked a photo of Bonesy to the dash, like there were three of them now, Rob thought. He liked it more when there was only him and Lou, as if Bonesy was somehow intruding. Not like he was jealous, and that was stupid, more that they were being watched. She was getting him a coffee. Two kids were walking their bikes down the street. Why weren't they riding? Oh, one had a flat, too young as well. He watched them until they were out of view. It was like Bonesy was laughing at him. That's what it felt like, from his privileged place above the aircon. It was pissing Rob off. It was ridiculous. She came back with the coffees and a nice donut. He didn't want it. She didn't say anything. She'd been quiet all day. He'd asked earlier if everything was okay, and she said it was. He didn't believe her. Her lying annoyed him. They sat there silently. It wasn't the comfortable silence he was used to. It was more brooding. He took a sip of his coffee. Sorry about the donut, she said. Doesn't matter, he replied. Pink icing, 100,000 sprinkled all over it. Not his thing at all. And he consistently talked in the car about wanting to lose weight. Why had she bought it? He turned away, angry. Sorry, she said again. I thought you'd like it. I have other things on my mind, you know. No, I don't. He snapped back. You told me everything was fine. Bonesy was loving this, he thought. I don't have to tell you everything, she said. She started sniffling then, small sobs. That annoyed him even more. Then even more softly than the first time she whispered, sorry, again. That worked. It got through to him. Hey, he said, look, I, I didn't mean to go off like that. I'm, I'm just tired. She nodded. It wasn't enough. Karen and I had another row last night, a big one. She's talking about leaving. Lou turned to him, really concerned now. Oh, shit, Rob, what happened? Ah, oh, nothing. Well, I thought it was nothing anyway. I, I just wanted to clean up the dinner things after MasterChef. She always wants to do it as soon as we finish eating. There's no bloody need to do it straight away. It's good to let your meal sit for a little while. Totally agree, she said. That's what we do. Yeah, well, one thing led to another, he said, and I guess we both had a few things to get off our chests. You really think she'll go, Lou asked? Dunno, he said. She won't leave, Lou assured him. Everything you've told me, she loves you. I bet when you come home tonight, she'll want to patch it up. Probably lay on a special dinner. Would she, Rob wondered. If he knew anything about Karen, it was that she wasn't the apologise and make up type. Normally, the fallout from something like this would hang around for a few days. He'd walk around the house on eggshells. It'd last until he apologised. That's how it had been with them. He longed for a day like Lou described, walking into the house to find Karen soft and remorseful. It'd never happen. He'd always be the one to cave first. What had happened if he didn't? Would she call his bluff pack of things, moving with the sister like she threatened? He doubted it. Still. He thought about Danny. He and his missus had split about six months after he retired. He said they'd grown sick of being under each other's feet the whole time. Danny had come round to Rob's more than once, bottles at the ready. They'd been good nights. Karen had joined them a couple of times. Some good laughs, actually. Years later, though, and Danny was still single. 
although his wife had remarried. Danny said he didn't care, said he'd grown to like living by himself. No one to tell him what to do, when to do things. He was free, he said. That thought scared the crap out of Rob. He never wanted to get to that stage. The point where living alone was preferable to living with a partner. Bonesy was sneering at them. I wasn't totally honest, Lou said. Ah, it's all right. You don't have to say anything if you don't want, Rob told her. She shrugged. The doctor said I'm not as large as I should be. She'd scheduled an ultrasound. I'm scared. Rob looked at her. He reached over and took a hand. He didn't realise what he was doing until he'd done it. Then he felt a bit surprised she didn't pull away. She seemed to like it, though. It's going to be fine, he said. Look, I haven't heard of a single pregnancy where the doctor hasn't freaked the mother out at least once. Really? She said. She's just covering her ass with the ultrasound, Rob said. He squeezed Lou's hand, then let it go. Her skin had felt cool, soft, resilient underneath, though. He wondered what she thought of his. She was smiling again. You really think it's just a precaution, she asked. Look, I'm not an expert, he said, but like I said, everyone has something when they're pregnant and 99% of them are nothing to worry about and and most of the rest they can fix. She glanced at the picture of Bonesy. She resented his intrusion as well, Rob realised. What was Bonesy saying to her? Mocking her for her reaction, for getting so upset so unnecessarily? They didn't speak again for a while, but it was okay this time. Back to normal. Then she said, if you don't like donuts, what's your favourite pastry? Apple slice, he said. She looked puzzled. Surely she knew what an apple slice was. Two bits of pastry, sprinkling of sugar with apple between them. Kind of, I don't know, like a sandwich, he explained. Do they still even make them, she asked, laughing. It was a kind laughter. Oh, probably, he said. How do they keep the apple from running out? Dunno, it's thick, it just sits there. Lots of gelatine, maybe. She looked at him. Jesus, she said after a while. He smiled. That's your favourite? she asked. He nodded. Four older women power walked down the road. They all wore Norfolk jackets, the same cut of ill-fitting jeans, identical white shoes. Both his and Lou's eyes tracked them as they marched along. There's your new girlfriend after Karen leaves you, Lou said, pointing to the oldest one. He laughed. She laughed. Only Bonesy remained critical. They both looked at him. They stopped laughing. The bastard's getting closer, Rob thought. He's getting bloody closer. It was official. Only two more obos on the house. The witness was appearing at the hearing on Wednesday and the Sarge had pulled the plug. The human resources needed to be deployed elsewhere. Rob and Lou were the second last team. It was the home stretch. At 6pm they'd hand over to Bellings and Wu. At 9am a team would arrive to escort the woman to court. After that she had the option of calling private security. She could afford it. The feeling was that after a testimony, the danger would have passed. Word on the street was that Bonesy had long gone. He'd gotten wind of the obo and scarpered. Queensland, maybe. Rob laughed when he heard that. 
Why was it that every gangster on the run headed to Queensland? The state must be full of them by now. Every second person there must be a crook. Lou was quiet at the start of the shift. Robert tried to chat, but the conversation was one-sided and he'd stopped after five minutes. She insisted on buying him coffee, even though technically it was his turn. She said she owed him one from a few weeks earlier. He didn't remember it that way, but he wasn't going to argue about it. She came back to the car. I'll miss you, she said after a while. He sighed. Ah, you won't get rid of me that easily, he said. I'm sure we'll work together again. She was going on to desk duties, though. Then she'd be off on mat leave, probably part-time after that. Who knew where he'd be by then? It was doubtful their paths would ever cross again. I got you something, she said. No, he answered. A bloody apple slice. Took me a while, but there's a bakery near ours, does them. Wish I'd gotten you something, he said. I wasn't expecting anything, she told him. Well, neither was I. That didn't stop you. I'll, I'll get something for the baby. What, what do you need? It's fine, really, she said. He'd get her a toy, maybe. Teddy bear. He'd get the kid a bear. It's been good talking, he said. Yeah, she said. I've liked it. You really didn't have to get me anything, he repeated. He went to take a bite of the slice. A bloke came into view. Rob glanced at him, then turned back to Lou. He wanted to tell her that these friendships, these funny relationships you form at work, were as real as the ones you made in your life outside. He even opened his mouth to speak when, Christ, it was him. The bloke coming down the road, checking out the numbers on the houses. It's bloody bonesy, Rob said. He saw Lou instantly stiffen up. Rob was on the phone already, calling uniform for backup, a code red, lights and sirens. You ready? He asked. Lou nodded. He opened the door. He thought Bonesy would see them, would be on the lookout for the obo, would bolt as soon as he spotted them. Nothing, though. Bonesy was all strut, looking like he owned the whole bloody street. He had no idea they were waiting for him. Lou took a gun out. Safety off, Rob said quietly. There was a motorbike coming. He went to run across in front of it and then hesitated. She'd seen him move and hurried across the road, nipping in front of the bike. Rob was forced to wait behind. He wanted to call out to her, wait, let me talk, don't approach. His heart raced. Bonesy spotted Lou, made her, knew she was a cop. Lou had a Glock out, aiming it at Bonesy. Rob, watching, like the whole thing was going down in slow motion. He was running to catch up with her now. Down on the ground, sir, now. Bonesy and Lou were about 10 metres apart. Rob was about a half a metre from Lou. Face down on the ground, sir, she said. Rob heard sirens approaching, saw Bonesy's head dart up. He smiled. Christ, thought Rob, he's going to do it. He had his gun trained on Bonesy, so did Lou. Bonesy's hand started lowering, reaching for his pocket. Don't do it, sir, Lou shouted. She was good, Rob thought. Strong, calm, ready for it. It happened so quickly. Bonesy's hand started to move towards his pocket. There was no doubt what he was intending to do. Rob fired. Lou fired. Bonesy fell, but managed to ping off a round as he was falling. Lou turned away, pure reflex, as if her back would shield her from a bullet at close range. It didn't hit her. Rob went to fire again, but Bonesy was clutching his shoulder. The gun had fallen to his side, knocked from his hand when he'd fallen. 
Rob walked over and kicked the gun further out of reach. Bonesy was too injured to worry about cuffing him. Uniform appeared, did their thing. They took Bonesy to the hospital in an ambulance. Looked like he'd live. The blokes in the second ambo offered Rob a blanket. For shock, they said. He shrugged it away. There were three of them around Lou. She was uninjured. Rob knew what was to come, though. She'd be obsessed with that moment. The memory of the fear rising. Every nanosecond of what had happened. A fragment of time you didn't go back to, although all your senses were screaming at you to constantly relive it over and over and over again. Like you were addicted. That's why you had to block it off, so you didn't get trapped there. But never visiting had its downside too. It'd always be there, waiting. He'd explain it to her later, that she should let herself glimpse it sometimes. In the right way though, so she could escape the demons lurking to spring out decades later. That's what they told him he should have done. He'd only just made it when it had happened to him. They knew a lot more now though. She'd be given other support. He hoped she'd be okay. She saw him watching. She pushed the ambos aside and came over and gave him a hug. She felt so small against him. He held her tight just for a moment, then pushed her away. There were blokes watching. They'd get the wrong idea. A couple of hours later, he pulled up outside his house. On the way, he'd made up with Karen on the phone. He didn't go inside straight away, though. Alone in his vehicle in the safety of his driveway, he finally unclenched his fist, looked at the bullet he held, the one he'd snatched right out of the air between Bonesy and Lou. He pulled out his wallet, opened the little pouch in the front, the bullet from the day of the bank raid nestled there. He'd seen shoals after they'd hit walls, the ground, people, all crumpled. Not these, though. The two he held were pristine. He didn't know how he'd done it, grabbed them in mid-flight. He'd saved two people now, though, people he liked, Lou and Danny. Not that they'd known. He never said anything. No one would ever believe him. He didn't really believe it himself, despite the evidence in front of him. Karen came to the door. She had her arms crossed, staring down at the car. He put the new bullet with the old one, closed his wallet, and put it back in his pocket. You coming in or what? She called. He looked up at her. She was smiling. Hopefully they'd have a good night. That was Brian Dorr reading Just the Two of Us. It was recorded in Tayeb's studio in Morocco. Thanks, Tayeb. 
Trevor Brown did the music by did, I mean composed, and performed it amazing. I've been told it's really important to build subscribers, so can you please like the show and follow it on whatever platform you're using to listen to it? It'll make a big difference. Ear Movies are written and produced by me, Simon Luckhurst. Thanks for listening. Thank you.